0: I'm Donnie Dipple with CHB Consulting, LaGrange, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today.
1: Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello Texas, always glad to be with you for another
2: edition of Texas Ag Today. Jump on in with me, buckle up, we're taking that ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Justice Department and USDA are teaming up to address anti-competitive practices in the meatpacking industry. We'll check in with U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to see what he's doing along with Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack to address that problem that story coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley.
0: It's pretty depressing if you look at what the drought monitor map shows for the Texas High Plains I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll hear from one area livestock producer on what a lack of moisture has meant for his family's herd.
3: Labor shortages in the pork industry and biosecurity measures to keep African swine fever out of the U.S. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. This
4: is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. In today's report, we look back at 2021, Quite a year for extreme South Texas agriculture.
2: We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Biden Justice Department is joining with USDA to crack down on anti-competitive practices in the meatpacking industry.
4: Anti-competitive practices in agriculture, as in any industry, hurt the American people. Producers, consumers, and workers alike. And they hurt the American economy.
2: That's U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. He says the Justice Department is launching a new initiative in cooperation with the Agriculture Department.
4: This will include the launch of a centralized accessible portal, a one-stop shop, to report complaints of potential violations of our competition laws, including the Sherman and the Clayton Act, as well as the Packers and Stockyards Act. The joint channel that we are establishing will allow USDA and DOJ to collaborate early on on how to appropriately address such complaints.
2: Garland says whistleblowers will be protected under the new employee and contractor anti-retaliation protections passed by Congress in 2020. 2021 was a year of record demand for beef. Texas A&M livestock economist David Anderson says there's one simple reason for that.
4: Consumers like beef. They like the product, and even though its price at the grocery store, price
2: at retail has certainly gone up, consumers continue to buy, Uh, and that demand is pulling prices higher. But there is a bit more to it. I think part of it, too, is this idea of, again, this bottleneck at meatpacking, this packing constraint. As it begins to loosen and we see higher cattle prices, we're also seeing wholesale prices for beef decline. As we look at the at the boxed beef cutout, those prices are coming down, which is exactly what we would expect uh, as this constraint eases. And that should help to lower retail meat prices somewhat in the coming year. A new year should bring a new focus on a new farm bill. Will Stafford is the Washington representative for CHS. He says he expects Congress to start work on the new farm bill soon.
5: Oh,
6: yeah. With the current one expiring in 2023, uh, the Senate and House Ag Committees will probably start that process officially um, in the first quarter or early spring of 2022. So we're coming up on it. Um, and um, it's always a big deal for farm groups, obviously. Uh, it's, it's kind of a Super Bowl for Ag policy. Um, so farm groups should be thinking about right now what their policy areas and priorities are going to be, which programs in the current Farm Bill are working, which aren't, uh, and being in touch with their, their members of Congress.
2: Stafford says he doesn't expect to see anything revolutionary in this farm bill. It will more likely just be a tweak of current farm law. The drought continues to expand across Texas. James Hunt checks in with one panhandle producer to see how he's dealing with dry conditions.
0: Greg Glover and his family maintain a cow-calf operation in the western Texas panhandle where, with our long dry spell taking its toll, the wheat they planted for their cattle is running short, and they've been forced to sell some of their yearlings a bit early. But they still have plenty of cattle left to provide for, and as he strategizes, Glover is thinking that in a few weeks or so, if our recent trend of warmer than normal wintertime temperatures holds up, they might be looking for a good stretch of time to do some irrigating.
7: Maybe a window of
4: 7 to 10 days where we can water some wheat and maybe hopefully perk it up where we want to grow some and maybe we can put some cows on some wheat. But right now we are supplementing with liquid feed and just what we call cattle cubes.
0: With the exception of some good rains last spring, the panhandle has been very dry for more than a year now and Glover says it's been necessary to do some herd reduction.
7: In the
4: last 12 months we've trimmed down our cow herd. You know, if They've lost a calf, or they've gotten older. Just the nature of life, you know. In years past, if they had some teeth, we'd give it another round, try to get one more calf out of them. And uh, this go around, we in the last 12 months, we've been pretty aggressive as far as calling and getting rid of some.
0: And on top of the weather issues, like everyone else in agriculture, Glover and his family are dealing with input pressures. That's not only true when it comes to things like the cost of feed for cattle, it's also true as they make plans for the upcoming season over on the row crop side of their business. Chemical cost and fertilizer availability are among the concerns there. We'll hear more from Glover in our next report as we talk about making decisions on how to divvy up acres. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
2: Labor shortages are affecting all of agriculture, including the pork industry. Tom Nicoletti has the story.
3: My guest today is Nick Giordano. He is Vice President for Global Government Affairs with the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, while you're in Washington tracking uh, issues for uh, the pork industry, uh, one of those that you are uh, currently looking at, of course, sweeping the industry along with uh, other sectors of the
8: United States, of course, is the labor shortage. Talk about that. Well, we've got a severe labor shortage, uh, both on farm and in our packing plants. This is uh top issue for National Pork Producers Council. We've been working this hard for years. Optimistically, I think there are members of Congress on both sides of the aisle that don't have a problem with what we want, which is basically we want the um, H-2A program open to us. Right now, it's just open for seasonal labor. Well, we're a year-round industry. So we want that program opened year-round with no quotas, no caps. And uh, certainly, uh, biosecurity on hog and pig farms is ultimately uh, something that uh, producers need to really take into uh, consideration. Well, they do, and the Pork Board has uh, done a good job of underscoring that message, and of course, MPPC does. And, uh, you know, look, the U.S. pork industry leads the, the world in biosecurity. You think about PERS and other d- porcine diseases you look at where we were 30 years ago and where we are today but you're right biosecurity is important and we got to keep getting better and better job number one at mppc is asf and keeping it out of the united states of america that again is nick giordano
3: he is with the national pork producers council i'm tom nicoletti and this is the texas farm bureau radio network 2021 was a roller coaster
2: year for south texas agriculture Jim Hearn takes a look back from the Rio Grande Valley.
4: The top news story of 2021 had to be the Valentine's Day freeze that saw temperatures dip to 21 degrees, the lowest it's been in over three decades. The citrus crop had just started to bloom, and experts say 70% of the commercial citrus crop was ruined. I would sure like to see where the other 30% is because Groves that average 20-plus tons of fruit to the acre, well, they've been harvesting maybe two tons or less. Well, this comes on a 2020 hurricane called Hanna, which also harvested over 40% of the valley fruit. We needed a good fruit crop in 2021 to kind of heal us, but it didn't happen. Well, the watermelon crop was also destroyed. It was then replanted. And when it came time for the harvest, no labor was available. Some say it was the tough immigration laws. Some say it was unemployment checks and stimulus checks that made it more cost effective not to work than work. Well, whatever the cause, watermelons ruined in the field because of the labor shortage. The spring sweet onion crop also met the same faith as many onions were just disc under. Well, heavy rains fell across extreme South Texas in March, April, and May. Some say the wettest three-month period ever. Well, it made field work almost impossible, but did aid in giving Valley row crop producers a bumper crop of corn, milo, and cotton. The cotton growers needed this crop because Hurricane Hannah back in 2020 harvested 92% of our Valley cotton crop. So 2021 was a rebound year. 2021 was also a great year for valley ranchers. With the heavy spring rains, we saw cattle belly deep in grass, stock tanks were full, and also time to rebuild the herds. Amistad and Falcon Reservoir have been up and down all year, but adequate levels will remain, and that's going to be plenty of water for agriculture and municipal usage. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley reporting for Texas Ag Today.
9: One of the state's national wildlife refuges is getting bigger. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today.
2: And if you have a horse that's drinking excessive water, there are several things that could cause that. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next right here on Texas Ag Today.
1: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today.
2: If you have a horse that's drinking excessive water, there are several things that can cause that. Dr. Bob Judd takes a look.
5: Drinking excessive water is not common, but when it occurs, the reason could be important. Dr. Emily Barnett from the University of Minnesota indicates in equine quarterly that a healthy, average-sized horse weighing about 1,100 pounds will drink about 13 gallons of water each day, and urine production is about 3 to 4 gallons per day. Most horses that are classified as drinking excessive water usually drink at least two times more than that normal water consumption, and many times more. If it is determined the horse is drinking excessive water, one of the most common causes is psychogenic polydipsia, meaning there is no real medical cause, and the horse is drinking excessive water because they want to, not because they have to. In other words, the horse is not sick, but just wants to drink excessive water, and this can be due to stress related to the diet, management, or housing situations. As far as diseases, Cushing's disease is very common in older horses, and 30% of the horses with this disease drink excessive water. Chronic kidney disease will certainly cause horses to drink excessive water, but the amount of water consumed is not as large as those with the other diseases and may go unnoticed. Also, horses can develop diabetes, but this disease is much less common in horses than in small animals. Other causes of increased drinking are high-salt diets, the use of some sedatives or other drugs like corticosteroids, and drugs that can cause kidney failure, like some antibiotics or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like bute or banamine. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
2: One of our state's national wildlife refuges is getting bigger. Jessica Dommel has the details in today's wildlife report.
9: The federal government is adding more than 4,500 acres of coastal bottomlands forest to the San Bernard National Wildlife Refuge on the Texas coast to protect native and migratory bird habitat. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the tract of land, which will now be known as the McNeil-Peach Creek Unit, has an extensive amount of frontage on the San Bernard River. It is a major migratory stopover and resting area for Nearctic and neotropical migratory birds. FWS reports the habitat there supports reptiles, amphibians, and mammals like swamp rabbits, white-tailed deer, red-eared slider turtles, and wood ducks. The 4,628 acres of Columbia bottomlands habitat that will be added to the refuge is the last contiguous old-growth forest tract remaining in the bottomlands that has not yet been conserved. It is the first refuge tract in Wharton County. FWS says the National Wildlife Refuge the tract is being added to is home to some of the only wetlands adjacent to the Gulf of Mexico in Texas. The refuge was established in the late 1960s to provide wintering habitat for migratory waterfowl and other birds. The refuge is now about 70,000 acres, and it's managed to help wildlife, but it's more than that. Fish and Wildlife says that people can visit there to watch wildlife, take photos, hunt, fish, and even participate in educational programs. The refuge is located in southern Brazoria and eastern Matagorda counties. It is part of the Texas Mid-Coast Refuge Complex, which also includes Brazoria and Big Boggy refuges. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Duhlmel.
2: It's time to take a look at the markets. So Jessica will be back with a complete look at our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
6: It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, farm bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit SWAGCenter.org stress to learn more.
1: We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today.
9: The cattle and grain markets all opened lower Thursday but the cattle markets managed to turn around midday despite a lackluster export report. February live cattle up a dime to 137.35, April live cattle up 50 cents to 142.45. January feeder cattle up 45 cents to 162.57, March feeder cattle up a dollar 10 to 167.27. Box beef higher, choice up a dollar 10 to 268.03, select up 55 cents to 260.16. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble.
6: You know they had a sheep and goat sale in San Angelo on Tuesday. Benny Cox is a ramrod of that part of it. How did those sheep and goats sell for you?
7: We had 36.73. I'm sure that helped somewhat to keep this market up to snuff. But the, the slaughter lambs they sold from firm to ten dollars higher. The slaughter ewes, I'll tell you, it's higher than I've ever seen it in my life. We saw some of those ewes ring up to up to over two ten uh, a pound. But the kid goats they sold near steady with very few offers. The slaughter nannies they sold good. They sell from 170 to 225, but mostly 215 to 220. Just all kind of fell in that same category there. Slaughter billies, they sell from 220 all the way up to 270. We did. Did have a handful, like I say, of those wool lambs, they sell from 320 to 350, but they were lighter weights. Of course, they all went to the ethnic market. On those lighter end of those hair sheep types, some of those that weren't showing as good, maybe, whatever, down as low as $3, but up to as high as 436. Those heavier weights, those over 80 pounds, from 260 all the way to 370. Slaughter use from 140 to 213, but mostly 180 to 190. Kid goat, 310 to 424, mostly 360 to 390, with some feeders up to as high as 444.
6: Well, what's uh, happening with the cattle sales so far?
7: Real light numbers. We don't have hardly any to start with. Uh, Jody told me there was a guy sending about 50 50 cows in. About half of them will have calves on them. There'll be some uh, solid-mouth red Angus on them and then some... Sure black Angus and and, and we'll try and tear some of those. But other than that, I don't know if any big deals look like it'll be pretty light.
6: Tell everybody how to contact you, Beanie.
7: They can call me on my mobile. It's three two five-234-4277. The office is the same area code, 653-3371, or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. We
6: appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Texas neighbors, thank you too for participating and in walking the pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host. My
9: name's Larry Marble. Good day. A strong export report and support from higher pork cutout values and a stronger cash market led lean hogs to close higher on Thursday. February lean hogs up 67 cents to 82.95. April lean hogs up 60 cents to 89.27. January class 3 milk down 26 cents to 20.40. February class 3 milk down 72 cents to 21.63 100 weight. We saw triple-digit losses in the cotton market Thursday due to a poor export sales report. March cotton down 156 points to 114.72. May cotton down 133 points to 112.28. Corn hovered around six dollars all day Thursday. March corn up one and a half to 603.34. May corn up one three to 604 and a half. September corn was down a quarter to 567 and a quarter. March hard red wheat down 18.5 to 7.68 and a half. May hard red wheat down 18 to 7.70 and a half. July hard red wheat down 16.5 to 7.70 and a half. January soybeans were down 7 to 13.77 and a quarter. February natural gas down a penny Thursday to 3.86. March natural gas up a penny to 3.71. February crude oil up a dollar 87 to 7972, March crude oil up a dollar 64 to 7911. The Dow was down 116 points to 36290, the S&P 500 up 4 to 4704. The Nasdaq was up 20 points to 15120. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel and I hope to see you then.
1: Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information,